Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about life, theology, the church, and the culture. Uh, my name is Derek Rishmaui, and I'm joined by most of the cast and crew, uh, Alistair Roberts, FDR, and uh, Matthew Lee Anderson. So welcome to the first episode of the new year, fellas. How's Thanks. it going? Derek, I'm a, should I be offended that you haven't tried to come up with a, a nickname for me? Um... No, Anderson. That. Anderson. We've been doing this for no, like two years, and you know, I, I there's been I've, no attempt. I think there are there are many other. Well, I think you've been called so many names in the last two years. I didn't know if I should add to that, um, uh, positively oh. or negatively. <laughs> oh man, I feel good about that burn. I feel good about that burn. Um, starting the new year off right. This is what we try and be at Mere Fidelity. It's just a it's just an encouraging, an encouraging community of <laughs> authentic thinkers. And anyways, um, <laughs> with that said, uh, we'll get to it. Uh, today's subject uh, kind of takes a takes a cue from a key text in uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, Galatians 3.28 reads, uh, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now this is a, this is a, a crucial verse for Paul's argument, a crucial verse for understanding the uh, implications of the gospel for uh, community and identity and uh, our notions of the, the universality of the blessings of Christ's work in his cross and resurrection and what union with Christ brings about. Uh, but it's also a, uh, a very important um, kind of grounding for uh, a lot of Christian discussion around the notion of equality, right? The, the, the equality is, a, is, a, is a, almost a universal good and, and maybe besides freedom, maybe the um, singularly modern absolute good uh, in, in public discourse right now. And so what we want to do today is sort of think about what what Galatians 3.28, what, what scriptures as a whole um, require uh, or imply for a Christian notion of equality, what is what is a what is a Christian notion of equality grounded in in a text like this and others um, really look like? Uh, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and pitch it to Alistair and uh, and give us our first sounding on the issue. What 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 does equality mean in this text? The first thing to notice is that it doesn't actually talk much about equality at all. The focus of the text <laughs> lies elsewhere. The focus of the text is not equality, but union. Um, that all these groups are one, not that they are um, interchangeable or um, equal or something else like that, but that they have been made one body in Christ. And again, the principle is not some abstract commitment to the value of equality. In fact, the oppos many of the oppositions that are being discussed are oppositions that God himself established, um, which would suggest that if equality were the point, then God is not in principle um, about equality. There's something more going on here. The significance is something that has been brought about by the action of Christ at the f in the fullness of time in history. 
And so it's not an ideological egalitarianism or anything like that. It's um, a new community that's formed around the work of Christ, where the old opposition between Jew and Gentile, any oppositions between slave and free, male and female, and these other groups are overcome by the grace of Christ. And there is an equality that arises out of that, but it's a very different sort of equality from that which people tend to ground upon this verse. It's not a denial of difference, but a denial of the opposition between these groups and a statement that God's grace traverses any differences that exist between them. And it's about the way in which, relative to the promise given to Abraham, we all stand as heirs of the Spirit, and um, in Christ we are all part of the seed. But that is something that's very a very specific truth that relates to a specific moment in history and a specific reality that has arisen out of that. It's not about equality as such. And even when we are talking about equality, we must remember that that's not what's foregrounded here. It's a union, um, that we are all one, um, not that we are equal. I always love handing it over to Alistair, and he just says, well, actually, the main point is entirely other than... Uh, <laughs> um, but, but seriously, Anderson... Um, off that point, how would you, how would you respond? Or I think that's right. I think one question I'd have for you, Alistair, would be something like: Does that disclosure of our oneness in Christ uh, in that historical moment within the fullness of time have social implications or ramifications that generate a conception of equality that we might be familiar with today? So is it the case that um, the uh, that reading of Galatians 3.28 uh, just enshrines the uh, first century social order or leaves it intact without abrogating? Or is it the case that um, what's happening in Galatians 3.28 is a kind of seed that flourishes into a genuine conception of some kind of social equality um, uh, that would say could be used against a caste system, right? I mean, part of the problem in thinking about equality is um, it has a different significance and meaning depending on which social realms we're discussing. Um, so it means one thing in political action, uh, in, in the relationship that citizens have to their government. Uh, it means another thing uh, between the sexes. And so trying to parse out uh, the value of equality theologically, um, I think, requires attending to all of those differences. But I'm not sure I'd want to say that um, Galatians 3.28 doesn't have any bearing on those other forms of equality, political equality, and so on and so forth? Or have I misunderstood you, Alistair? Which is uh, more than probable. Uh, 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 yeah. In the context of Galatians, it's very clear that Paul sees this as having social consequences, um, not least because once we've recognized who we are in Christ and how we relate to each other in Christ, 
the other distinctions and oppositions that can exist between groups and even the differences that exist with, between these groups assume a penultimacy. Um, but that penultimacy is of a very particular kind. And I suppose what I'm trying to emphasise is that there is something that arises out of this socially and politically, but that arises out of a specific reality and history, not out of a general abstract principle of equality. It's out of the work of Christ that the Christian notion of equality takes its root, not out of some um not out of something some fundamental principle that lies beyond that. And so in a number of these areas the Bible does speak about differences and can it doesn't hold the value of equality as some great value to strive for in other arenas. Um and as in the case of the Jew-Gentile distinction, this is a distinction that was established by God. Its time was limited. It was something that was supposed to pass at a moment in history, but it was something that was established by God. It was not... So the idea that there is the inequality as such is a bad thing is complicated by that sort of factor. Whereas as we've arisen out of this context, I think often we come to this verse with a set of assumptions and very much within the modern context, a set of assumptions built around the discrete individual as the source of, um, as the unit of society. So you build society out of individuals and those individuals are understood in terms of their um, possession of this these universal qualities of individuality, of autonomy, of um, value and status within society and this sort of thing. But when we arise out of that, we can have an understanding of equality in terms of our interchangeability or some other values, how we stand relative to the law, how we stand relative to social dignity. But Paul's point really lies elsewhere. Um, Paul's point is about social groups and how the gospel brings them together. And that isn't really about individuals and equality directly, although it may have implications for that. And certainly down the line of history, it has tended to have knock-on effects in our understanding of the dignity of persons from groups that would otherwise be dismissed and marginalized. Um, so I, I'm hearing that, and I think one thing that strikes me is that I have seen the use of this text and its relationship to equality um, sort of clustered with the notion of the image of God. So if we see salvation in Christ as part part of the part of the work of Christ is to restore the image of God and restore the proper functioning of the community as a whole, humanity as a whole in its role uh, as the image of God. And part of that, uh, has to do with um, affirming the individual dignity. So I think part of the link there is just saying that the restoration of humanity in Christ um, is also the reaffirmation of the of the uh, image of God, which marks um, every every individual, every uh, believer, but also every every creature. And so the, it's it's sort of a, a return sort of seen as a return to an original unity and original singular um, dignity, which we have, again, as part of the whole of humanity as image bearers. Um, so I think that is 
part of what drives that. Uh, it, it's sort of a sort of a cross pollination of texts, a cross pollination of theological um, ideas, which I don't think is illegitimate. Um, so I, I'm wondering what you guys make of that. Uh, second, the other issue is, is I think we're I think there's been a fudging fudging of the uh, the terms equality and sameness to some degree. Uh, so n the idea that equality in itself uh, may imply uh, a flattening or a denial or uh, ignoring uh, differences. And that, I think, is something that needs to maybe be teased out. So I'd be, I'd be interested in either of you jumping in on either of those two points. Um, uh, maybe Matt, uh, Alistair was just up. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know how much I'd, I have seen it being lumped in with the image of God. So I don't know how many thoughts I have about that, to be honest. I think one, one thing that has struck me about this principle of equality is I, I suppose the image of God is one way of, of grounding it theologically. Um, it seems like one could also ground it, uh, in, uh, claims like in, I think it's Acts 10 and Romans 2, uh, that God doesn't show partiality, right? That he's mm -hmm. he's no respecter of persons, as it were, uh, in the KGV's translation, um, which is to say something like he allows and recognizes these um, social stratifications to occur, but he pays no fundamental heed or regard to them. Uh, he doesn't allow them to dictate his responses to individuals in part because he sees the individuals and not the offices. Um, he sees the people who uh, are in those social circumstances and not uh, the social circumstances themselves. And so from that standpoint, it, it'd be very uh, a similar sort of principle as the image of God, but, but almost in a different key. And f for my money, that it's a better way to go because it reframes the question of equality around equal treatment or equal respect or equal regard um, to use abstract principles that are popular in some disciplines today. Uh, the, the principle of equality as a social principle, where what we're talking about is status or... Um, social circumstance or whatnot strikes me as a kind of as grounding a kind of utopian project where we just level all the social distinctions jew and gentile male and female etc we we'd, we'd bring about equality by way of eradicating the sort of differences uh, that's beneath them but thinking about equality in terms of equal treatment or equal regard um and, and not being a respecter of persons and, and recognizing that uh, social circumstances and uh, one's location are not the final word about someone strikes me as a, as a more healthy way to appropriate the, some of the terminology and concepts behind equality without giving into the sort of abstract theorizing that Alistair is worried about. Suppose one of the difficulties we have is that the term equality has such currency within the popular imagination, but 
is so vague in its meaning. So are we talking about equality of opportunity, equality of outcome, equality of regard, equality before the law, um, spiritual equality, or what exactly is it? And that vagueness of the term allows for a lot of mischief to take place, where people will use that term to accomplish a particular purpose that is not entirely, um, it's not well defined. And because the lack of definition exists, people are able to um, use it in unhelpful ways. And so I think that's one of the problems that we have when we make appeal to this concept of equality. And one of the reasons why I'd often like to draw back and think of other terms. Um, so when we're talking about equality of regard, that can be helpful in certain contexts or equality in terms of a lack of partiality, um, that you treat like things alike. Um, again, that's another example. But in those sorts of cases, often we have a series of questions that must be asked before we can establish how that principle is applying. So for instance, treating like cases alike, you have to first of all establish that these cases are alike. But yet, when we use equality in many cases in our society today, it has an axiomatic character that we must pursue equality, which is not quite the same thing as it's not functioning in the same way as impartiality or equality of regard. There is something more going on there. And I think it's important to, to recognise just how much weight that has. On the issue of the image of God, again, I think this is one example of something that we come to with a lot of modern assumptions about what that sort of text is teaching um, in Genesis 1, 27, that... So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. We come to this very much thinking of the human being as an individual, an individual who happens to be male or female, and an individual who happens to be a member of <clears throat> the larger human race. But within the context of Genesis, there's more going on there. And I think that sort of verse is supposed to be read in dialogue with Genesis chapter 2, but then also with Genesis chapter 5, where the image of God is not this mere property present, possessed by a lot of individuals, but it's something more about the character of the human um, race as a whole um, that relates to us, not just as, or even primarily as individuals, but as a race and as those who participate in that in different ways. And so the image of God later on in Genesis 5 is related to Adam giving the image or Adam bearing a son in his image. And the relationship between image and the father-son relationship is another key thing, something that prov provides problems for people who want to argue for a very individualistic, modern, egalitarian approach the image of God doesn't actually work that way. It's a bit more complicated. And I think often these are the sorts of issues that we need to deal with if we're going to have a helpful conversation, an illuminating conversation on equality that doesn't actually just twist the scripture to fit our preconceptions about what sort of creature the human being is. Okay. So I suppose at this point my... my I hear all this and it's and in theory it, it all sounds good and yes there are complicated issues with equality. I do wonder if uh, the 
there might be pushback at this point or, or fears that um, these sorts of complications, these sorts of uh, qualifications and on the notion of equality qualifications on these texts um, really don't just open a door for reinscribing old uh, bad inequalities, right? There, there, are, there are older ways of uh, valuing differences between individuals and between classes um, that are really just nasty social structures that uh, treat people awfully on the basis of uh, differences that are, you know, they're, 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 they're modes of, you know, honestly acknowledging difference and honestly acknowledging uh, distinctions that, that turn out to be uh, quite self-serving for those who uh, in that hierarchy uh, end up at the top. And so I'm wondering um, on your on more complicated view of equality, uh, the non-egalitarian, non so to speak, view of equality you're articulating or wanting to, to get at, um, where are the safeguards on that? Where, how, how would you articulate uh, this more complicated view of equality in such a way that it it preserves the good that the you know, more leveling concept has actually resulted in. Um, so I guess I'm just wondering, cash value, what, is it, what does that actually look like? What, what are the equalities that you want to affirm or uh, ones that you're guarding against? The primary point here is not some vision of equality or hierarchy or something like that. The primary point is what do these texts actually mean? These texts that are being appealed to for a particular notion of equality. And that is the point that I'm particularly pressing on here. And so there is um, an understanding of um, social relations and equality or whatever it is that we need to arrive at. But first of all, we need to be honest about what the texts are saying. And so if we're dealing with something like Galatians 3.28, it matters that we understand that in the context of the epistle as a whole, and then in the context of a proper grasp of Paul's theology, rather than just imposing upon or grasping at that text as something that can be useful or serviceable for us in fighting particular modern battles. In the same way with Genesis one twenty seven, that there is teaching about the image of God, but yet the more that we want to conscript these verses into our particular arguments, the more we are in danger of misreading them. Now, when it comes to the concept of equality more generally, um, I think that we certainly need to speak about Scripture is very clear on impartiality. That happens on a number of occasions, um, or that comes to the foreground on a number of occasions in judgment that we should be impartial and that God is impartial and that all will stand before his throne. Then we have the concern of God for people of all different backgrounds. Um, God's concern for the um, people that would otherwise be ignored or um, marginalized by society is very prominent within the biblical text, again, on many occasions. And so this is something that must be taken seriously. God's regard for people, um, this regard is not necessarily founded upon some that they are seen as equal individuals, um, but it's founded upon the fact that he is the, the creator who loves his creatures. And whether or not um, 
they come from a particular background or whether they've received certain privileges or not, they are valuable in his sight. And he is concerned for them. He is concerned that they flourish and that they um, achieve the purposes for which he has created them. And so in these sorts of senses, I think we can speak very clearly about equality. Unfortunately, I, I suspect that much of our cultural weighting of equality arises from a society where we've lost sight of the theological and creational grounding of equality. And so we're trying to establish equality on other grounds, recognizing that increasingly recognizing that many of these other grounds just won't support the concept. And so if we can't talk about equal regard in God's sight or um, equal regard before God's justice, then we're struggling to find something else. And yet this value is very clearly an important one. Um, and so we tend to go back onto other, other principles which aren't necessarily so as helpful. So one thing that I wonder, there's one way, one way of listening to your critique, Alistair, such that it's, it's a critique of contemporary uses of equality on the basis of a kind of hermeneutical purity, right? We've got to use the, the texts and the way in which they're supposed to be used. And historically, I wonder if that sort of hermeneutical purity can hold up. Um, it seems to be a feature of the early church, for instance, that the right conclusions and the right answers uh, about, uh, say, the deity of Christ um, come about on the basis of the use of texts in a way that we now look at and say nine to. Uh, we say, no, that's, that's, that's clearly, uh, or it seems to be not how the text was originally written. So I guess I, I, if if it is the case that the that what's actually substantively being defended from are these you putting texts, forward a case for eisegesis here, Matt? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying it's not always wrong, right? The, 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 not for eisegesis per se, but but it sounds like what you're saying is that substantively these notions of equality are there within the biblical text in other places. People just aren't using say Galatians three twenty eight. That's not the right verse, but there are these other concepts in other places in scriptures that are already there. And I just wondered to what extent is Galatians three twenty eight being used as a kind of shorthand for all of that other stuff that uh, uh, loads it such that it becomes, even if that's not what Paul means in the moment, it becomes a legitimate use and, um, yeah, so that's, that's one question. I think the other question is just if, if all of those, if there is a, um, if there are resources within scriptures to talk about equality in these sorts of ways, um, why shouldn't we, I mean, making it more complicated, uh, the, the rejoinder to that is something like, well, we have the luxury of making it more complicated um, as uh, our social locations go. We're doing pretty well. Uh, and so we can make it more complicated. But for those for whom equality has a uh, functions as an imperative, uh, it functions as an imperative because they're being deprived of it in some way. And so 
for them, I wonder what is the cash value of making it more complicated. So those are those I think are my two uh, critiques or concerns. When we're talking about these texts, it is important to see that the weight that they bear is a very particular weight, the burden that they have. Now, that burden can often lead to similar places, but it arrives there by very different routes. And actually, the destination it arrives at has certain similarities, but it is very a very different one. The What it means for one body of people to be formed out of God's work in Christ so that the differences that formerly divided them are overcome and they are one body is a very different thing from saying that every individual should be treated equally. Those are very different claims. Now, they may lead to very to certain similarities of practice, but they are not the same thing. And the modern value of equality is very much founded upon the individual as the fundamental unit of social analysis and understanding, and the idea that all individuals are equal and are struggling against the fact that actually individuals are very different in ways that make a difference. Um, now, the biblical concept is founded upon a deeper understanding of the unity of humanity as a created whole um, about the overcoming of division, whether that's one that was established by God, such as the division between Jew and Gentile, or a division that is formed by human sin or just by nature, the fact that we've been divided to different parts of the world and developed societies independently of each other. In all these different ways, Christ's work traverses the difference and brings us together in one body. But that is a very different sort of truth from modern individualism and the notion of equality that rises out of that, which is founded in no small measure upon the belief that ultimately human beings are commensurable, that we can measure ourselves relative to each other. Now, if we're talking about regard in God's sight or be presence or judgment before God's throne, whatever it is, these sorts of things, that's a very specific way in which we are alike. But equality pushes beyond that into making some a stronger sort of claim. So when we're talking about let's say, apples and oranges. Apples and oranges are alike. They are they are a fruit. They are equal in certain senses. They can both be one of your five a day. But in many of the respects that really matter, they are not equal. They are very different, and those differences matter. And when we're talking about human beings, that is something that we're, we're pushing against a lot nowadays because we need our concept of equality to stick, but we've lost the grounding that would have given that um, sense of equal regarding God's sight or something like that. And so we need to push in other directions to establish some sort of just society. And we have a sense that a just society will be one in which all persons will be regarded. Um, and that is a Christian understanding and a, an understanding that Christians share with others. And I think it's something that it, there is a natural basis for our instinct on equality. But there is something that the gospel brings to this debate that is not just an affirmation of the general principle. And likewise with creation, the notion of humanity and what it means to be a human being is not the same 
as the modern notions that give rise to our concept of equality. So I don't think we can just say that we're getting the right doctrine from the wrong texts. There is a vision of equality in scripture that is very different from the modern one. So, uh, so my thought here is that you're, what you're fighting against is you're trying to distinguish two different notions of equality. One, we might call a flat notion, just flattened equality. Equality equals everybody's equal, which means everybody is the same because if some, if somebody is not the same in the most basic or basically in any way, uh, then you're affirming that they're not, that they're not actually equal. Um, right. And so we just kind of flatten all all real differences as kind of mere surface appearance differences but they don't really count because uh, most of those things are either constructs or really irrelevant to who you are deep down inside so on and so forth versus more of a kind of a layered sense of difference and inequality a layered sense of equality in which there are uh, notions of yeah equal regard uh, fundamental equality of worth, fundamental equality of, of even, I think there is, you know, substance and being you, you know, as, as human, as humans, right. There's an ontological equality that is, there's kind of a substrate, even if you're not talking about equality and, you know, physical strength or, um, uh, numbers of hair on your head. I am losing mine. Matt still has his things like that. Um, or even the differences inscribed in nature, uh, like between the, the sexes or something like that. And so what you're, if I'm summarizing you, the gospel allows for a latter, more layered, textured notion of equality, whereas the modern conception is just kind of a flattening, universal, make everything equal in every sense to the point that it makes us blind to obvious differences sort of equality. Um, that's what I, is that a what helpful way to think about but, it. But maybe the paradox, is Alistair, the, the paradox Con is, if, is that if Derek is right, the gospel does that by virtue of enshrining a kind of individualism by treating individuals as each distinct in their own ways such that they don't get flattened into general categories. And so, ergo, individualism is awesome. Take it away. Well, what you have in <laughs> maybe a helpful way to, to think about this is to compare modern views of individualism and the equality of individuals with something like Paul's notion of members of the body of Christ, where the differences matter and each person matters in their differences. And those differences are not differences that allow, allow us to lord it over each other or to say that we don't have need of each other. Um, they are all ways in which we are means by which God gives to, God has given the church the spirit, and God gives the church the spirit by means of the many spiritual gifts that represent that one gift of the spirit to the body through its many members. And so we all need each other. We all have distinct value and significance within this body. We are all truly members of this body, but it's a different notion from the modern individualistic um, notion of we're all commensurable, detached individuals. Rather, we're all members of a body and have significance on that front. And that is a very different way of approaching the problem. It may arise at very similar solution or 
it may have similar cash value in certain areas, but it isn't the same approach. So I suppose the challenge that I have, the, the, the thought that occurs to me is that um, going back to Galatians 3.28 is uh, we have three kinds of differences, differences there uh, that are um, bring it to union in Christ. You have you have a natural difference of male and female. You have a redemptive historical uh, difference uh, between uh, Jew and Gentile. But then you have a uh, a sinful uh, difference, a hierarchical sinful um, structure of uh, master and slave, and uh, slave and free. And so, in in affirming the unity. That we have in Christ, we want to we want to rightly affirm that uh, the gospel ends up erasing that last one, uh, and then making the Jew and Gentile distinction uh, irrelevant because of redemptive history. But at the same time, not wanting to uh, let let it sort of trample over um, natural uh, differences, natural um, distinctions, or healthy, helpful distinctions uh, that we, we notice within different parts of the body. Like, oh, you're clearly a hand or you're clearly a, a foot. You're clearly the, you, you are help and it is right and good that you are these things because you, it, is, it, is a, it is a beautiful part of the diversity of God's work, uh, creative work and redemptive work in the world. Um, I, I guess I'm, I suppose that's, that's the tension there for me is is um, realizing that I do think that, that that unity that we have in Christ does end up being a social leveler in some ways and a redemptive leveler in erasing sinful distinctions, erasing sinful um, inequalities that have arisen while at the same time um, uh, maintaining a, a, a grasp of uh, glorious and beautiful God-ordained differences uh, within the Christian body and within the created world. I suppose that's that's the challenge uh, that wrestling with varieties of texts and varieties of social phenomenon uh, that, we, that we still have, that we're still facing. Um, that said, we could get, keep going, but I think we are at the end of our show today. So uh, thank you for listening. To, next week we will be coming back with our uh, next chapter in our uh, confessions discussion. So if you were worried that we didn't approach it this week, uh, come back next week or we will. So thanks for listening. This was our first year, uh, first show of the year. And uh, thanks for listening.